One of the powerful aspects of music is the way it can instantly transport you to another time and place. Songs help us to remember. You might remember uh, this man. I I think this this morning I called him a modern-day philosopher, a social commentator even, Billy Ray Cyrus. You ever heard of him? Yeah. Uh, He's responsible for blessing humanity with uh, achy, breaky heart. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, I do. It was the anthem of a generation, um, a misguided generation, perhaps. Nevertheless, that song takes me back to an event last century. I could even tell you what I was wearing that night, celebrating the end of school at the Paddington Hotel in 1992. What a time to be alive. Guns and Roses, sweet child of mine. That takes me back to New Year's Eve, 1989. You weren't born. That's okay. Uh, less positive. Uh, I uh, will forever associate Coldplay's The Scientist with a lengthy stay, Level 6, St Vincent's Hospital. I can still smell it. Less positive maybe even still. As parents, I'll tell you what, the the Wiggles' big red car has been seared into my brain forever. Songs help us to remember. If you ever get involved in aged care ministry and you're dealing with people who are patients who are, are suffering from dementia... And they hear a hymn. They might be suffering dementia, but I'll tell you what, they will wake up and they will sing that hymn word perfectly because songs help us to remember. And in real time, that's what's happening here in Exodus 15. God's people burst into song. This is a song of praise. It's a song of thanksgiving. It's a song of victory. And it's a song that is going to reverberate from now all the way through to the end of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 15, God's people are gathered around the sea. What are they singing? They're singing the song of Moses. And so without exaggerating, Exodus 15 is a song for the ages that ranks alongside, in fact, it outranks just about every other hymn ever written. Look at verse 11. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Here's my one-sentence summary. The Lord is a warrior against evil and he's the loving saviour of his people. I'm going to pray and we're going to take a closer look at Exodus 15. I invite you to join me as I do that. Gracious God, we do thank you for this time you've enabled us to set aside. We pray that now your Holy Spirit would so guide us and be our teacher. And as we consider your word, would we respond rightly in trust and obedience? And we ask that through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You can see two points there. The Lord, a powerful warrior beyond comparison. The Lord, a loving saviour beyond imagination. For simplicity, I've divided this song into two parts. That's as many as I could handle. Verses 1 to 12, they look back at what God has done in the exodus. Literally, the word just means the exit, and that's happened now. Israel is out of Egypt. Verses 1 to 12, look back. But verses 13 to 18, as Josh was reading it, I wonder if you noticed, it's forward-looking. So verse 13, you will lead the people you have redeemed. Verse 14, the nations will hear, and so on. But whichever way you structure this song, whether it's simple or sophisticated, there's a key issue we need to establish right at the start, 
the book of Exodus is not a collection of random ancient history. What we've been seeing for 15 chapters now is a very careful, a very deliberate, purposeful self-revelation by the God of Israel. The Exodus is not God's final revelation. We'll need to wait for the Lord Jesus for that. Nevertheless, the Exodus experience is foundational to our understanding of God's character. And to give you an idea of just how important the book of Exodus is and what we find there, there's a repeated phrase that you'll find all the way throughout the Old Testament. Remember the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Now, I started counting and I stopped at 50, 50 of those references, and I only got to the beginning of 1 Kings, which isn't even one-third of the way through the Old Testament. So then, if the Exodus experience is foundational to our understanding of God's character, then what have we learned? What have we seen? What is he like? Well, we've learned that the Lord is faithful to his promises. You might remember how the Israelites multiply in chapters 1 and chapter 2. That's keeping the promise to Abraham. The Lord is concerned for the welfare of his people. He hears their cries. We've seen how patiently the Lord deals with Moses and all of his insecurities. And remarkably, we saw how patiently God even deals with Pharaoh in his rebellion, giving him opportunity after opportunity. But ultimately, the first 15 chapters of Exodus reveal that the Lord is a warrior, he's a fighter. And chapter 15 is the turning point as an expression of his love, as an expression of his grace and mercy, the Lord fights. He fights against his enemies, he fights for his people, undeserving though they are. And he fights for them so that he might bring them from death to life. Do you remember they've crossed from one side of the Red Sea to the other? And they're on their way to the promised land now. And so with their, if their Egyptian slave masters now totally defeated, God's people respond with this song, immediate praise. Follow with me from verse 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They're still on the beach The the Egyptians have just been swallowed up by the Red Sea immediately. Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I'll sing to the Lord, they say, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he is hurled into the sea. The Lord, verse 2, is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I'll exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord, Yahweh, is his name. Praise is the instant response of God's people. They don't let themselves get distracted. They don't let time go by. They don't overthink the situation. They simply respond in praise. And there's immediate practical application for us here. This immediate response of praise is so helpful for us that we too might learn the habit of instantly returning thanks to God when we receive special mercy from him. 
And yet the dominant picture of the Lord here, you see it there in verse 3, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. As a loving parent will stand up and fight for their child, so too here the Lord stands up and fight for Israel, who we learned back in chapter 4, Israel is God's firstborn son, and the Lord stands up and he fights. I'll sing to the Lord, verse 1, for he is highly exalted. What's he done? Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. Now we should be careful here. Because we live in a time where it's fashionable for people to claim victim status. And I want you to know that the Egyptians, they are not victims. I want you to remember these are the people who threw Hebrew babies into the Nile. I want you to remember that time after time, Moses and Aaron bring the word of the Lord to Pharaoh and his officials and they reject the Lord's word, which is the same, by the way, as rejecting the Lord himself. So they reject the Lord's word and then they continue to rebel. God is so generous to them. He gives them sign after sign. We call them plagues, but do you remember how the plagues are introduced? I'm going to do this, Egypt. Why? So that you will know I am the Lord. And yet still they refuse to learn, they refuse to turn to the Lord. And what's more, this song provides us with a chilling insight into Egyptian brutality. Look at verse 9. The enemy boasted, I'll pursue I'll overtake them, I'll divide the spoils, I'll gorge myself on them, I'll draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. Not satisfied with working the Israelites to death through slavery, what we learn here is that given the opportunity, they'd happily slit the throats of the Israelites too. So let's be clear. By ignoring the word of the Lord... And by continuing in their persecution of God's people, Egypt pushes God's patience to breaking point, at which the Lord reveals his calm, settled, determined opposition to evil. We can lose our temper in a second. The Lord's anger is very slow, but once provoked, verse 7, in the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. And just in case you think it's undignified for the Israelites to praise God for his demonstration of justice, I'm willing to bet deep down you want the Lord to act like this. You want him to express his capital J justice. I'll admit we're not keen when that justice is applied to us, but I think we can agree we want justice applied out there at the very least. In the disaster that's playing out in the Middle East between Israel and Palestine, there was a letter in the Sydney Morning Herald this week. It was titled simply, What's Wrong with Humanity? 
Now, I don't want to get into the complicated issues of politics and history because to some extent, that's not what this letter was about. This was a simple plea for justice. And in the Exodus, God gives us a glimpse of what his straight-line justice looks like. There will be, for Egypt, no getting away with it. And for this the Israelites praise God. Verse 11, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. At which point some Christians can become uneasy. I've had it said to me, well, do you know, the Israelites... They're an ancient, uneducated people and humanity. We're more progressed now. We're more learned, more sophisticated. Besides, um, I prefer the God of the New Testament because he's more loving compared to the angry God of the Old Testament. When people speak this way, I do wonder how much of the New Testament they've read, let alone the Old Testament for that matter. Because is it really true? Does the caricature stand up that there's this kind of divine personality transplant between Old and New Testament? If you read the New Testament, you will find absolute, total consistency between what's revealed of the Lord in the Old and what's revealed through the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. And I'll prove it to you. Come with me to Revelation chapter 19. I think I've got some of it on the screen. This isn't the whole passage, but this is some of it. This is John's vision of heaven. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. That's scary enough. With justice, he judges and what? Wages war. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What the Exodus reveals in black and white, Jesus reveals in technicolor. Think of it. What is Jesus doing when he dies at the cross? What is he doing? He is waging war. The cross is an offensive operation behind enemy lines. If you're taking notes, Colossians chapter 2, Paul tells us Jesus takes the record of our sin. He nails it to the cross. What does he achieve when he does that? Paul goes on to tell us that the Lord Jesus is disarming the powers and the authorities. Jesus is stripping Satan of his power. But more than that, Paul goes on to talk in the language of triumph. Jesus triumphs over the enemies of God. Now, triumph is the language of the warrior, isn't it? My point is Jesus is a fighter because, Exodus 15, the Lord is a warrior who rises to defend his people. And so I put it to you. Instead of being embarrassed by this description of the Lord as a warrior, I urge you to see how encouraging this is. Because if Jesus is your Lord, you are free from the power of the devil. Understand that. 
with Jesus as your defender, just as the Israelites crossed from death to life from one side of the Red Sea to the other, so too in Christ you have crossed over from death to life, which means for all of the trials and disappointments you're going to experience this side of heaven, and you will, even still you can sing with the Israelites, verse 2, the Lord is my defence, he is my strength, he's become my salvation. The Lord is a warrior and he fights for his people. I want to suggest to you that is very good news. He fights for his people and he's the loving saviour of his people. Look at verse 13. Future tense now. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. It's talking about the promised land. And I want you simply to feel the confidence of this verse because the Israelites, when they sing this, they are still on the beach. But they sing as people who are as good as being in the promised land. Now, some of you on this side of the room, you will have sat your uh, Year 12 Modern History exam this week. So let me give you an analogy, if I may, from the German-Soviet conflict of the 1940s. Because every war has its turning point. For 18 months, the Germans swept the Soviets off the map. Couldn't stop them. And it was only a matter of time as they descended on the city of Stalingrad that this would be just the latest in another conquest. Until miles to the north of Stalingrad and miles to the south, the Soviets launched a daring counter-offensive. Nobody gave it any chance of success. And do you know what? Within a couple of weeks, the entire South Army of the Germans in eastern Russia had been surrounded. And within a couple of months, the first major humiliating surrender, the first of many. Here's my point. The Soviets won the war at Stalingrad. They didn't know it. But that was the turning point. It was the decisive battle. But it would be another two years, more actually, before they rolled into Berlin in final victory. In the same way, the Israelites stand on the beach with the Egyptians in front of them, totally defeated. God's people are as good as home in the promised land, but yet still obstacles remain. There are enemies to overcome. However, compared to the superpower that was Egypt, whose Apache helicopters and leopard tanks are now well and truly sunk in the Red Sea, well, these skirmishes, they're going to be a sideshow. Look at verse 15. This is the reputation that now follows God's people. The chiefs of Edom, they're going to be terrified. The leaders of Moab are going to be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. What a terrific phrase. Terror and dread will fall on them. And here's the practical application Moses has been driving towards the whole time. Having thrown the Egyptian military into the sea, it's clear Israel can trust the Lord to bring them safely home. What's going to stand in their way now? You will, verse 17, bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. And I want to say to you tonight as Christians, we sing this same song just 
with a much bigger chorus. Because the cross is our Red Sea moment. The cross is where God triumphs over Satan. The cross is where Jesus' blood brings us from death to life. And just like the Israelites on that beach, we're not home yet. But Jesus has won the decisive battle. Obstacles and hardship remains. That's true. Yet whatever we face in the week to come, singing as we go, we can face this week confident that Jesus, our warrior king, goes with us. What does he promise at the end of Matthew's gospel? Do you remember? Behold, I am with you. And so we go into this week with the Lord Jesus, the warrior king by our side, the saviour who promises to bring his children home, the shepherd of Psalm 23, who leads his children beside quiet waters. What a song. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. He goes with you this week, this one. Let me pray. Mother, we do give you thanks for your patient love towards us. And we do pause to give you thanks for the way that you've not only treated us with patience, you've treated us not according to our sins but according to your mercy. And so, Father, we want to pray that you'd increase our trust, to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. And as we go into another week, would we so trust in him that we would also respond in trust and obedience to the good works that you've planned in advance for us to do? Yes, increase our trust, increase our joy, and give us a bigger picture of the one who comes with us, Jesus, our warrior king, our defender and high tower, who promises to bring his children home. For your goodness to us, we give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.